0: i Todd Dills and I've heard from a myriad of folks following the previous edition of Overdrive Radio Podcast, which featured retired owner-operator Gordon Alkyres recounting of a harrowing brake failure coming down Mont Eagle Mountain going east some decades ago. Among those was a well-written story from South Carolina-based owner-operator Lee Epling about a failure coming down Sandstone Mountain out of West Virginia toward the Virginia Line. Epling, like Alcair, had some issues with all the piling on and finger pointing at both the driver and carrier in question in the Colorado crash. To wit, pointing out that most common violations found in a truck don't mean, quote, that the trucking company was lax on equipment maintenance. End quote. Think violations like a slack adjuster malfunctioning, catch all brakes out of adjustment, chafing airlines and the like. Some of what Eppling calls, quote, the easiest write-ups the DOT can do. Marry that uh, to an immigrant driver who may be new and have a hard time talking to an officer, you're going to get a violation for something." End quote. Owner operator Epling went on to tell his own runaway story on a long downhill grade, which I'll read here. I had just purchased the 1999 International 9400 I'm still driving, still getting used to it and unfamiliar with the truck relatively speaking. I had spent that whole week dealing with my Jake being intermittent. Either a switch or solenoid was grounding out. I've driven without Jake's for years. The first truck I had was a Volvo with an exhaust brake that just didn't do much of a job working wide open. I was headed east down I-64 coming into Virginia from West Virginia. The last stretch is good old Sandstone Mountain. I've been up and down that thing a thousand times. I stopped at the mandatory brake check, kicked the tires, checked and adjusted the brakes, and I hit the highway. Traveling with my four ways on and fourth, I started down the mountain. No jakes on, was just going to go down nice and easy. All of a sudden, one of my trailer tires burst. Just came apart. I went to hit the shoulder. As Soon as I applied pressure to the pedal, she went straight to the floor. The truck started picking up speed pretty quickly, so here I am past the first runaway and coming up to a decision this is where your training comes into play I had spent a long time talking with older hands about these situations many a meal I have purchased in my early 20's to get good sound advice from truckers who had it to offer I'd say I'm running about 70 with 48,000 pounds of steel beams on the trailer owner operator Epling broke down four courses of action he had to choose from one, do you hit the ramp pay the repair cost to the ramp, get the ticket and possibly lose the load, and have one heck of an insurance claim? The very worst possible outcome, quote, will the sudden stop have that steel come through the back of the truck, End quote. Number two, ride out the mountain and try to take the sharp left at 80 to 85 miles per hour at the bottom of sandstone. Number three, quote, put her in the median and hope I and my sidekick, Sam the poodle with a mohawk, survive the crash. Number four, grab the dog, point her toward the median, and jump and let her go. End quote. When operator Epling put the truck in the runaway ramp, quote, what they don't tell you in driving school, what no one had ever told me about a runaway, if you're driving that heavy, going that fast, you're going all the way to the front of the ramp. We finally stopped, inches from the water totes at the end of the ramp, truck upright, and the load still safe. I was shaking so violently from the adrenaline coursing through my veins that I couldn't get out of that truck fast enough. Brakes were smoking so bad I thought the truck was going to catch fire. My dog was about as scared as I was. We went for a walk. For quite a while. Here's the funny thing. No one showed up. No state troopers, no fire trucks, no ambulance, and no tow truck. I bet I was at the top of that ramp a good hour. After I calmed down and the brakes cooled... I started digging into the cause. That way, maybe I could dig out the tires and the axles and back out of there. The trailer tandems were on the asphalt used by the tow trucks to pull you out. Only the truck was in the soft sand. The trailer I was pulling had one of the first auto tire inflation systems that they came out with. It worked great by keeping the proper air in the tires, but that's what caused my brakes to fail. There's a one-way valve in the system that, when functioning properly, keeps the air in the system if you lose a tire or have a quick-loss leak. That safety valve failed. I was able to bypass the valve and use the little redneck engineering to pinch off the leaking airline. I used my dunnage and my wrench bar to dig out the tires. Slowly now, backing down the runaway, I got out of the ramp and onto the shoulder just past it. As I was fixing my coloring book, as if I wrote it in a script, a state trooper stops in front of my truck and gets out, walks up to the window, and tells me, if you're taking your 30-minute break, try to move it a little more forward. That runaway ramp is there for a purpose. Where you're parked, it's not a good idea, young man. He walked back and left. Yes, sir, he was right. It saved my life. Epling ended his note on this, though. Uh, the thought that he doesn't prejudge drivers in such situations before the facts are out. Though he can place blame on regulators and the industry as a whole for failure to properly train and certify, as he says... pilots have our requirements while being trained on equipment. I for one agree we should as well. A few things to think about there. The remainder of this podcast uh, will feature the following talk with Ohio-based BL Reaver Transport owner-operator and OOIDA board member Monty Widerhold. I was interested in following up on our talk two years back ahead of the ELD mandate about what to expect when it came to truckload rates as a result of the mandate. Widerhold as you may recall from feature reporting at the time, I was considerably skeptical of long-term rate increases, particularly when it comes to spot market freight. Today, as of the April monthly averages in truckstop.com's rates ticker for flatbed, dry van, and reefer, all segments are up when compared to April of 2017 by around 10%, but that gain is easily accounted for in a corresponding rise in diesel costs that more or less, by my quick back of the envelope calculation, wipe out the spot gain since then on average. Compared to April two thousand and eighteen, the pain for owner ops relying on spot market freight is uh, much easier to see. Rates overall are down thirty or forty cents per mile in all segments. hold when we spoke this Monday morning, May thirteenth, if you're catching us later in the week, was awaiting some work done on his Western Star,
1: but having a radiator replaced in it, uh, and uh, yeah. so kind of one of them things I I knew I was going to need one uh but I was able to get through winter with it you know it wasn't leaking or nothing but the fins were getting bad in it. uh the uh okay. a lot of the bugs and all that kind of stuff kind of eat the kind of eat the fins out of them so it's a 2000 western star but I've actually got a uh yeah yeah it's got a 99 engine it's an exempt truck and stuff and uh it's a good old truck mechanical. The you know the cabs on Western Stars are <clears throat> metal, so I'm kind of always fighting the corrosion problem and stuff with it. So,
0: I asked him for his own thoughts about the Colorado crash. First off, a
1: good a good fun good friend of mine from Texas, uh, Danny Snouts, told me he said first off he said it, it, most of these stories will start off with I wasn't there or we weren't there. So yeah. you know when you, when you operate from that which is which is kind of saying well let's let's kind of try to look at things objectively and and look at how you know all the facts and not just try to immediately go oh yeah well he he you know he knew he was going down a mountain or he you know should have done this or should have done that like i said we weren't there but um you know you look at the thing where the guy was 23 years old um he had a green card he was here you know legally from cuba but working for a company that that uh, it has come out looks like that they were pretty lackadaisical on training probably on some of their maintenance stuff. Um, right. and, and, you know, I know from personal experience, not everything in the safer file that's on your company is correct. I mean, I, I've had trucks tagged with a DOT inspection to my DOT number that weren't even my trucks, you know, right. and I was able to data queue them and get rid of them. <laughs> so, you know, th- there's a lot of stuff out there. I mean, I'm I mean, the, the company was out of Texas. I don't know if this is the first guy this guy was ever on a mountain with a, you know, and lumber loads, Todd, are always 48,000 pounds. I mean, they, they try to get every every ounce they can get on there. So, um, I mean, the, the, the fact that this has always been a problem with me, and I've actually talked with Todd Spencer about this before, and, and Todd said, you know, this thing about, you know, drivers understanding English and being able to read road signs and stuff, it's up to the individual states because the states actually issue the license. now. Who's to say that there couldn't be some federal oversight? And I would I would think maybe, you know, it always takes some huge crash like something some big, something big to happen, you know, to where something will be will be done maybe. Um and and this is not about being anti immigrant or whatever, but this is about making the highways safe and stuff. And so um you know, how do you give a test in Spanish, and and I think I think Arizona and New Mexico is one of these states that taught it to me about it, that, that they've been doing this for a long time, you know, um, as to whatever best way they could get the guy issued a license. So, um, I don't know. You know, I, I, I feel bad for this guy. I mean, I'm sure at the end of the day, he, that was the last thing on his mind that morning was, um, I want to get up, run out of control, and kill four people and injure, what was it, 23 or something or 26? Um, you know, so… Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he passed two or three of those runaway ramps or four. I, I, I've heard anywhere from two and as many as four. I don't know. Um, but, um, you know, it, you know, 23 years old. So what was the guy driving? Maybe two years. I mean, it, you got to be at least 21, right? So if you say yeah, the other guy started driving at 21, um, you know, I look back on my, on my career and I, I rode with my dad for about a year, year and a half. And I mean, he had, I had learned how to drive prior to that, but you know this trucking thing—you don't learn it all in six months or a year or two years. I mean, uh, and my dad told me—he said, from the day you get in it you get out, you should learn something every day. He said it may be something small, but he said the best thing—the best way to learn a lot of times is to watch what other people do and how they screw up, and that way you'll know what not to do. So, right—that's um, that's kind of my reaction to that. I mean, it was a terrible thing, and and uh, you know. I only seen one video, uh, and it was one where the the guy started videoing the truck going down the hill. That he had supposedly either cut this guy off or forced him out of one lane. And You see the guy was kind of weaving from one lane to the next, you know, and all going down that mountain. So I didn't actually see any brake lights. I mean, I only, see, I only looked at it one time, and, you know, you don't really – it's kind of like watching – if you ever watch a good movie, Todd, and you're like, you know, that's a pretty good movie, and so you watch it again, and you're like, hey, I didn't notice that the first time, you know because um, cause you'll, you'll pick up on a little something. So that, that's kind of the my standpoint of that. I mean, it's uh, uh, just a tragic situation, and, and obviously there ought to be more people probably held it, at uh, at fault for this other than just that driver. I mean, I think if, if there was some mechanical issues with the truck that hadn't been taken care of, I mean, obviously that, that goes back to the company. Um I mean, it it should, but, uh, you know, in this, in the, if you have a guy that's out on the highway and he doesn't tell you something's wrong with the truck, how does the company know to get it fixed? So there's, there's kind of a, you know, you don't know if that's an out for the company. There, well, hey, we didn't know, you know, so.
2: Thinking about kind of business conditions and rates and the ELDs, you know, I remember you were real, you were real skeptical in uh, spring of 2017 when we talked about this, uh, you know, about the potential for, uh, ELD mandate at the end of the year, to kind of have a real, uh, uh, real kind of effect on rates that uh, might be felt long-term in a positive direction for truckers out there hauling. But you, you know, you were among—I mean, there were others too that were, were saying this as well. But you were—you were one that said, you know, it's—it's uh, it's probably likely to uh, rise a little bit. But just uh, as with everything uh, of this. Uh, of level of impact and importance, um, uh, a, a regulatory change we're talking about here, ELD mandate, um, it's likely to adjust uh, back to normal eventually and probably uh, quicker than a lot of people think. I wonder, uh, you know, what's happened since then, of course, uh, you know, it's more complicated than just, you know, rates going up. You've got, uh, uh, it corresponded with, you know, a huge purchase of, uh, lot of new trucks by fleets and and by uh you know individual truck owners and people getting into business uh newly um mm-hmm. seems like uh uh rates did rise of course uh, right after elds uh, came into play but uh looks like the good times have come to something of a screeching halt as a lot of those big truck orders kind of came uh those trucks were built and came into the into the market i mean is that kind of how you? How you yeah, see it? Yeah, uh, you
1: know, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, like you said, there were other people that that had been around this business long enough and had seen, you know, some of the other we talked about. Todd at the time, uh, and I think I was calling you from Atlanta that day. Down there, we were we were talking. Uh, I think I was yep. down there for UCR conference or something. But at any rate, um, you know, like when they come in with the. The CDL, I think at, what was that, 95 or 96, somewhere along in there, when that came in, that they were going to, you know, change it over to, you know, which back in the day in Ohio was called a chauffeur's license, and now it's called a commercial driver's license. Um, but uh, that was, I remember the talk, oh, you know, there's going to be a lot of guys who are going to quit. There's there's not going to be, you know, drivers are going to say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not going to mess with it. And, and there it was like a, maybe a little blip there for a little bit where it seemed like there was maybe – Guys leaving the industry, and then you had a, some new guys coming in, but there was kind of a that that lull in between where where fleets and people were actually out able to get. So you kind of seen some of this stuff, and and I mean the 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 ELD was a lot more of a change than than that or any of these other ones. Um, yeah. But again, it's it's you know when you, when you when you look at the fact that. You know, because they talk about the driver shortage and stuff, a lot of the big fleets, and we're like over 50,000 drivers short now, which we've been 50,000 drivers short for the last, what, how many years, 10 years or something. I mean, wouldn't the number have went up by now? (laughs) Um, But at any rate, uh, there are uh, are over 400,000 new CDLs issued every year. And, I mean, okay, some of those guys are going to be bus drivers. Some of those guys are going to do, you know, drive, uh, you know you got to have a bus or a, a, a license to, to drive like the county van or something or whatever. But even if half of those guys become over the road truck drivers or go to work for a trucking company, that still is over four times over the amount needed that they claim. So when you have this many guys and these, and, and if these companies are, they've got the finances. So when this ELD thing come in and Hey, the rates are going and they did go up. They they did. They went up and I mean, oh, yeah. you know, I'm I'm, I'm blessed to have, I'm blessed to have probably 90 to 95% of my business as customership or direct freight. And, you know, our rates probably on an average went up, you know, some, some more, but on the average, probably across the board, we, we went up about 25%. And, you know, so things have cooled off since that time. I haven't lost any of that. I haven't had anybody come to me and say, Hey, you know, we can't keep paying you this because um, we've got, Joe Schmuckatello out here that's, they're offered to do it for uh, 25 cents a mile less or 25 cents a hundred or whatever it is, because a lot of our stuff is stealing us by the hundred. We do have some flat rate things and stuff, but I haven't lost any of that, you know, and now there was times for my customer. I mean, I'm my, my customer, I say my customer, my shipper direct customer called me and say, hey, man, I can't find a truck for this load and I got to get it. Just name your price. And if I could help them out, i say, hey, you know, I'm I'm not going to, you know, look, here here's what we've been doing before, here's what I'll charge you. I mean, he would tell me the sky's the limit. I'm not going to do that to that guy because <laughs> right, right. what goes around comes around. And, and I, you know, I didn't want to have to explain to my owner-operators, well, hey, you know, we were getting, like, way more than what we ought to be been getting because things were crazy and at the height of this ELD thing, and now they want to cut us back. I didn't want to have to explain that to my guys. You know, I understand guys that live on the spot market that just do broker stuff. And I mean, hey, you know, if I'd have been one of those guys out there, you know, I'd I'd have said, well, hey, you know, yeah, I'm, I don't know. It just depends on how much of a relationship I guess you have with that broker. But so things went up, you know, and like I said, they were crazy there for a while. Um, but the thing that's yeah. the thing that's that's that come around and we kind of see it start slowing down, and it's probably been, oh, it was. Probably I can't remember when they had this interest rate increase. They said the economy was flying too high. You remember that? And because the president even commented about you know the Federal Reserve raising interest rates. You know what's up with that? And I don't know when that was, but it's it's been several months ago. So we we kind of seen I I sort of seen a a decline uh, from that point on. And and then you know we've had this you know glut of trucks out there because I mean all the signs on the economy are that things are going pretty good. I mean, we've got, what, 3.2% unemployment? Um, or maybe that's the GDP, I forget. But anyway, I mean, you know, there's the everything is, is going pretty good. Um, but, like I said, the, the interest rate was one thing that I noticed that I thought things kind of started slowing off. And it could have been a combination of the extra equipment coming on the market and, and the timing of those two together that kind of, you know, really, to me, that's when I started seeing a slowdown on
2: it. So, um and if you think it's about it that way, it's kind of, right? kind of a, yeah, a classic supply-demand kind of uh, yeah. situation yeah. there. Oh. Yeah.
1: yeah, so, um, and and a lot of the stuff that we deal with is, is uh, um, secondary steel, you know, where it's defective steel that our, our, our customer will buy and bring in and process it. Um, and so what happened was the price, also too with that, there was a price People started seeing the price go up, so then people that had the metal they said, "Well, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to sit on this thing and see how high it goes, you know, before I decide to sell it, you know, if they could." Um, okay, and then yeah. they, so so that was one, and and maybe that didn't affect the obvious guy with a dry van out here or something, but you know, <clears throat> but that was kind of one one of the things that 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 got into ours. I mean, our we're still we're still pretty steady. Um, we were able to keep guys probably lined up, you know, like you pick up this load and you go here and you pick up that load and you go there. And it was like a three or four day out dispatch. You know what I mean? Three or four loads in advance. Whereas now we still have we might be able to get the guy one to two days out. And but now we've had some to where, you know, we'd always know like what our orders was like on a Friday, we know what we're gonna pick up on a Monday. Whereas now yeah. it it's it's Monday morning. Well I won't know until Monday morning. You know, mm-hmm. so um it, it's and it's it's uh, the orders are there, it's just the people are or they're price shopping on they're price shopping on materials, what's going on with us. So uh and I, I'm talking about the actual steel itself. I don't mean like our trucking, they know what our rates and stuff are already, but they're they're shopping on the people that are the people that they're selling to, selling them steel to. Or, yeah. you know, they're out there price shopping and, you know, or waiting until they just say, yeah, we got the order, but I don't know if we want to ship it
2: right today or not. It
1: might be, you know, instead of Friday for sure, maybe it's Monday, you know, so.
2: Um, this foreign-made uh, steel or, or American-made, a little bit of both, could be the tariff effects in there, maybe?
1: Well, I, I don't know. If the, I know the tariff, like on a lot of the the, the mills, the big mills and stuff, I heard that, that AK uh, Steel raised their price, or one of them. Um, that they had announced some price increases that I don't know if it just coincided or if it was, uh, you know, because, I
2: mean, they have related to that. Yeah. They have,
1: yeah, you know, everybody everybody looks at their costs and stuff, you know, and they see what were their, like, their labor costs their fuel cost, whatever, and they decide, well, we're you know, by May the 1st, we've got to have a price increase. You know, so then if a tariff took effect at that same time, was it a tariff or was it already planned? So, um, but I mean, the the secondary market, the steel could come from anywhere. But I mean, it's it's yeah. always usually picked up in the states here someplace. We pick it up. Um, or, like I picked some up last Thursday down in Decatur, Alabama, and then I got a, another coil out of uh, Portland, Tennessee. I think I told you I'd come through Nashville that day. Yep. So uh, on the spot market, I think we we had a truck in Columbus, Mississippi, at, at the mill down there. Usually we get stuff out of the mill, but they were they were slow or didn't have. Uh, they, they offer us stuff, but it's not always maybe going the direction we want So because uh, we're looking to try to get back up this way, whereas they may offer us a load going to uh, Birmingham or Talladega or something or whatever or on farther sure. south or farther west, and we're looking to get back up into Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, or whatever. Um, so we didn't have any of that, so we had to look at the load that, we had, that I had hauled, and it hadn't been, oh, maybe, I don't know, um, maybe couple months that I'd hauled this load out of through a, through a brokerage out of out, it was out of the mill but it was a customer collect shipment and it was going to Michigan City, Indiana and I think that I got like $1,900 on that load and I sure. seen that some other guy, some other company had it and the rate was 1400 bucks on the same load mm-hmm. in two months time, yeah, so that's and I'm like, nah, I think we'll leave that one go because I think, it wasn't. I wasn't actually down there, one of my other trucks was and I'm you know, um, Doreen you also right. called me and said, "This is all I'm finding." I'm like, "Nah," I said, "We're not going to do that." I said, "That's that's too many miles for that." You know, so, um, and I and I look at stuff that that if it's you know on on because we're doing pretty good on our loads out. You know, probably they're up in the three dollar plus range a mile. You know, for the most part. Um, so if you know, looking to if, if we don't have a customer load to pick up coming back and we have to look on the spot market stuff, you know, if it's not a minimum of at least two bucks a mile or maybe a little more than that, you know, that's kind of my cutoff if it's not gonna pay that, it's not gonna fool it. You know, so I mean I was down in Florida last week and there were people who had loads. They wanna pay like a dollar ten, dollar twenty. I, look I wouldn't even I wouldn't even think about it. I wouldn't even think about right. turning the truck on for that, you know? Um, I mean, number one, there's a lot of things you looked at and and hopefully people look at is that number one is your time, what your time is worth. And and some guys just don't put a value on their time, but it's it's your time. It's your equipment. Okay. Let's say that you haul that load. You have a claim on it. You're hauling a cheap load. You have a claim on it for some reason or whatever, something, you know, maybe, maybe you had a chain ding something up and, you know, or whatever. And then somebody wants to nick you for a cargo claim. I mean, you've. Besides hauling the load for, you know, not much more than if you looked at, you know, paying your expenses. Uh, and and I know my accountant and I went round and round on that for a long time. But you can't. I just look at my like, hey, if you keep hauling that for cheap, it's going to stay that way. So yeah, maybe I deadhead 200 miles or 300 miles to a load that's going to pay me another three dollars a mile. You know, I'm going to do it every time. So. Right. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, there's a there's a definite. Um... There's been a definite influx of people into the business that uh, you know had no involvement in it before. And yeah. That's another aspect of this uh, that uh, well, I, I think uh, often <laughs> often gets overlooked by uh, by some of the some of the prognosticators out here in a certain way because I've heard from a lot of people not a lot, but I've heard from more than one, which uh, uh, is in, in very recent months, uh, and, and it's, it's totally unusual. People who basically own a truck uh,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and have put a one truck and have put one driver in it are paying all that insurance uh, to run with their authority uh, and and relying solely on either like an independent dispatcher or or all load board type freight because they're they're looking at this as like a second job like they already have a job uh, but they go out and buy a truck and hire drivers They, they saw some some real opportunity there. And you know they've done they've done some you know due diligence and sort of learning uh how to kind of work a load board, but that's about it, right? Like and uh mm-hmm. and and the willing and it seems like you wonder always about the willingness of uh, uh to take those those low paying loads just to kind of stay afloat kind of keep the guy moving. So,
1: Todd, you know if, if you're taking a load and it's a marginal load you know if it's going to put you in a good place or if it's not too far i i mean i'm not saying we haven't taken loads it didn't pay that two bucks but right. we didn't take them very far you know we didn't take them very far and it put us in a spot we were going to pick up a load for one of our customers that we were going to get good revenue so you know i i know that's that's kind of hard for uh, some one truck guys to to have customers lined up here and there it's I mean, I, I got people, I got customers in Pennsylvania. I got the one in Mississippi, um, yeah. Jeffersonville, Indiana, you know, here in Ohio and stuff.
2: Um, uh, but,
1: uh,
2: It takes time and experience it, to build that up, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: it, it took a long time. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. you know, I've got just a small, small fleet, five trucks that I've got, you know, I mean my truck and then four owner operators and stuff, but yeah, it's, it's taken time and, and, um, uh, I enjoyed your story. I read the story about the gentleman, uh, I can't think of his name, but um I think he's he I think he said he had his truck paid off. It's just the guy that uh that we were talking about, I think Friday
2: or something. Oh yeah. When was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the young man uh, uh, I I Isaac Oh, he, he's real new to the business. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Definitely. and so, you know, uh
1: I have to to those guys for, for jumping in like that, but it's me and my dad back in seventy eight when we started and stuff, man, we we figured out pretty quick that there was a lot of people looking to skin you if if you didn't if you didn't pay attention to what was going on. And I'm talking about from guys on the docks at that time we were pulling van's guys on the dock to deal with Chicago city cops that wanted to pay off because you got caught in the third lane on a Dan Ryan expressway. Um, right. you know, people that said, Hey, you know, you give me twenty bucks I can get your truck a little bit faster. Well, you know, I'm 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 kind of an old school kind of guy that, you know, honesty and integrity and, and I'm not gonna pay somebody when they're getting paid to do a job already, you know. Um right. you wanna you wanna jack me around, I probably won't come back here again, you know, so um that was the type of stuff. But you learn that early on. Um and you know the thing about it is is that uh like like the one guy said he had talked to a buddy of his, that went to Massachusetts and I think they were offering like a dollar ten or a dollar twenty a mile right, or something for right. loads back out of there. East Coast stuff has been notoriously cheap for a long time. I mean, it, I remember way back in the day, yep. and the only time we ran East was uh, back when I first got the company back in the in the 90s. Um, most of our stuff was out of the Port of Toledo, and it was zinc and stuff like that that we hauled. But when the when the river froze up, froze over the St. Lawrence River, and they couldn't get the boats in coming in from Finland or wherever the zinc was coming from, they would bring it into New Jersey. So that's the only time we ran east is because we had stuff out there to pick up. Uh, you could get it back then, even like if I didn't have stuff, but on, you know, brokering, trip leasing, whatever you want to call it back then, you could get pretty good paying loads going east because nobody was going to make any money coming back. We, we, you know, we'd make pretty good going, and then we had customer freight coming back, so we we were doing okay. But that's again, that's the type of thing that we're you know, it takes a while to get that set up. But um and there's probably some of that out there. It's like I, I, I kinda wonder, you know, like we were talking about the spot market and stuff about how much things have changed here. You know, how much does that really change to what the customer's paying to what and I'm not there, there's honest brokers out there, don't get me wrong. But but there's some out there too that uh, you know hey things are backed off a little bit I can probably pocket another hundred bucks or whatever the load is on this uh you know uh, and I've seen it we've we've had we we've, we've called about like a load say we were had a truck someplace we call oh yeah that load's gone but i I haven't taken it off there and I, oh okay I'll get that taken off right away well then you look at the load board maybe an hour later or something that load's still there they're looking to see how many guys are out there how many guys are calling. And that's all about a lot of this load tracking stuff that some of these some of these big big guys want. Yeah. You know, they want to be able to know how many trucks are in a certain area so they can figure out you know how much what rates they're going to have to pay to get this load moved. So yeah. um, it's 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 not always as as uh, what's the word uh, innocent as it looks. So. You know, I mean, it might sound good, you know, like, yeah, hey, you know, that's great because, you know, I'm going to know, like those two, well, I'm going to know your truck is going to be there, and I can set you up with another load, you know, so, uh, yeah. that's not always the case on that.
2: Yeah, it may be more of like a, uh,
1: uh, a sort it, of it, a, it, a way
2: it, to just, a way to get another window on, uh, on, uh, yeah, it, it it's, it's all about, on you know, the, yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it, I, I, marketing might be the wrong wrong word, but it's it's all about, yeah. you know, these guys um, utilizing what they think is an available pool of equipment out there, you know, um, so that's, uh, I, I think, I think that's, I think that's a lot of it. I, I mean, I think it's probably more so than, than some of the other stuff that they, that they want to try to tell yourself. So.
0: Big thanks to Monty Wiederhold for his thoughts on the current market there and the fast-changing technologies therein. A bit of, a bit of a, a, bit of something of an alternate take uh, on tracking technologies and the assist that uh, access to them may well be able to give more and more among brokerages when it comes to negotiation and pricing. In his view, as more tracking providers, uh, among them some ELD and load board providers, integrate freight match type services with those tracking techs, expect more data exchange systems and types of data exchange to evaluate trade-offs around. Key question, always, is the money coming back to me worth the exchange? Look for more on on the topic of data in the June issue of the magazine and more from owner-operator we are holding the next edition of Overdrive Radio for an update on OOIDA's highway bill priorities and some other thoughts on the follow-on effects or not so much when it comes to bedrock safety improvements of the ELD mandate. Till next time, stay pro out there.